I'd like to thank Blendjet for sponsoring this episode. You know I am already a huge fan of the Blendjet too. It's a brilliant bit of kit and many of you have picked one up using my promo code, so thanks. I am delighted to let you know it's just got even better. The new Orbiter drinking lid truly puts the Blendjet 2 into the atmosphere ahead of its competition. It's leak-proof, has a larger opening for thick smoothies with room for a straw, and it's engineered to keep spills at bay. I'm surprised Bob Lazar didn't talk about seeing this tech in the halls at S4. It's easy to use, so it can be operated one-handed, ideal for walking around, camping under the stars, or drinking on the treadmill. What are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today. Don't forget to add the Orbiter lid, and be sure to use the promo code THATUFO12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 portable blender. Go to blendjet.com and use the code THATUFO12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. This is Lou Elizondo and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. Joining me for a breakdown on today's NASA UAP study and a few other bits and pieces all the way from Vermont, USA is Daniel Zetterstrom. Dan, welcome. Hey, hey, you sound really enthused then. That was like tone of Kirkpatrick there, you know? Yeah. But it's good um, to be here. What an exciting day. Peek behind the actor's curtain. Uh, as I was telling Dan, I've got a bit of an ear infection on the go and I could use a thousand knives to stab my ear as I record this. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> Uh, I said to Dan about keeping the, the notes concise, or Dan mentioned he would try and keep it concise, and I was like, mm-hmm, yep, uh, I want to die. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but here we are, and we wanted to get this out quickly because the NASA stuff happened today, and uh, it's worth talking through. Um, just due to life and things, I never got to see the full thing. Dan's taken some notes. I've, I've seen the gist. I watched the first couple of hours and uh, made a few points and notes on that, and I, I've looked up some of the online commentary as well, uh, and then got a few comments and discussion points on the Jeremy Corbell, George Knapp, Mojave Desert Triangle slash Flares um, incident that has been taking up a lot of bandwidth the last week for people and we hadn't really commented properly. Um, I, I think I'd said a few times online I lent towards flares, Dan, but... Um, yeah, you did. And what if it's a yeah. UFO drop-in flares, right? Well, I've got a point on something similar, Phoenix Lights, but here sure. we um, we'll, we'll get to that. But listen, the NASA study... Um, was today that was live on the nasa channel it was nice to see on the build-up to it that it went from like 1.4 one and a half thousand people watching the channel like an hour before to over seven thousand people i don't know if that went up anymore um watching it during the live broadcast but that was that was quite a chunk of change um for, for the channel which was nice to see that interest um the nasa study just to quickly recap was announced last summer and they were given the tune of about two million dollars of a budget or was it 200 grand i think it was 200 grand 200 grand that was it yeah so 200 grand um which isn't really a lot of money but it seemed at the time when we discussed it it was a study to set up whether it was worth studying further it was like a preliminary study um yeah essentially like they decided that they might take the trip but they just yeah. had to plan out a couple of different routes and see how it was going to go you know get the yeah. money for tolls in and stuff that was it um and 
do you know what? Spoiler alert, pleasantly surprised from what we got. Expecting there was a lot of expectations with this online, and it was never going to be okay. We've delved into the NASA archives, and here's the STS footage of the tether incident, and we've worked out it was 12 alien spacecraft around the, the space shuttle. That was never going to be what this was. It was a preliminary look at the what availability they would have to study um the UAP or the UFO phenomenon, essentially. Um but Dan, um, the intro from Dan Evans, um, he had to, which was disappointing, and to start this on a disappointing note, had to address the abuse that members of the panel had received as they had taken part in this study. And I'm going to say, I am going to guess that's not your UFO Twitter members giving the abuse. I reckon that's going to be scientific and academic folks who have been reaching out and slamming serious scientific scientists and academics taking part in what they see as a area of study that isn't worth studying which is disappointing isn't it yeah absolutely it, you know we can't say we want scientists to apply themselves and when they do kind of start going no not like that and harassing them you, you know we we want them to be independent study kind of uh folk or uapists as they as they are now called on the nasa website um they brought that up a few times throughout the whole presentation and at one point they did mention about online abuse and things like that so i feel like it's all coming from a number of angles and especially when we're watching uh, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick talk, there, there was a moment where I almost felt like I saw the genuine him through the the kind of facade that he puts up that stoic facade where, you know, it, it seemed like it kind of got under his skin. You know, this is a career professional really trying to do the work and well, all of them are, and they, they're being, you know, lambasted for it. It's, it's not fair. And, you know, people should just give the benefit of the doubt until proven otherwise, you know, and, and even then abuse just isn't worth it. It's just not worth it. No, not everyone's got as thick a skin as Gary Nolan either, who seems to to take it and dish it out just as readily. Um, but yeah, that's it's disappointing. But hey ho, um, it's it's been done and I've addressed it, and hopefully, well, let's be honest, it's not going to stop. Um, no. I doubt anyone listening to this is the type of person that that dishes out that type of abuse either. So, um, pretty disappointing yeah, to hear. But that's twenty twenty three social media. It's it kind of comes as part of the territory. Um common theme i took from the early parts of this dan from various different speakers were some keywords like the data set being incomplete that what they have is poorly cataloged that things are fragmented um was that what you were taking from it as well early on yeah 100 percent. you you know like you said it was it was surprising it we we always complain about um and i say we kind of i'm talking the community you know you are for twitter and the like we always complain that they kind of whether it's NASA or Arrow, ignoring the historical stuff. And they made it very clear today that the historical stuff is all well and good, but we didn't have the senses then that we have these days. Yeah. And a lot of it is classified. And when it comes to taking witness statements, which I thought that this was a standout for me when they were talking about witness statements, and they said, they're all well and good, but you know there are optical illusions and so on and so forth. And there should be data to back up that kind of eyewitness account if, if that's what happened. Um, so yeah, I, I was really encouraged. Uh, at one point, Sean said that they're, and he did this during the hearing as well, but said that they're designing purpose-built UAP sensors to deploy for the DoD. Mm. And NASA are about to do the same. Sean, Sean showed this big map of where they were looking at. And uh, it, it's on that kind of summary screen. I'll pop it on screen. If, if you're yeah. watching on YouTube, I'll pop it up. Um, 
but there's this little map and it just highlights the bases, you know, where, where the DOD are looking. And it's worth remembering that the gray area where the DOD aren't looking, that's the whole area that NASA have to look. And I was hugely encouraged that they, they seemed really genuinely gung-ho to kind of go do their work, you know? And that was the gray area, not the grays. Gray, area. yeah, the grays. Yeah, gray, just gray get, that, get that one right. Different. Yeah, good place um, in Amsterdam, though. <laughs> yes. So, um... You made a point I wanted to come back on there, and I'm stalling for time thinking about what it was. Ah, yes, witness statements. That was, a, and that's something we're going to get to talking about the Jeremy Corbell stuff later on as well with George Knapp. Um, sure. The Good Trouble show with Matt Ford had Robert Salas on it, and it's just worth noting. I think this is probably a good place to discuss that. Um, they played a clip of Robert Salas, who was the Air Force captain, obviously retired now, who was present at Malmstrom Air Force Base when the missiles were, were shut down famously uh-huh. in that event and incident. And he, did I get this right? He recorded himself his interview with Arrow. Um, yeah, that's right. I, that, that, with that permission. Allowed? Yeah, well, that um, was with permission, you know, yeah. In, in different states, they have different party right, consent. Okay. Some of them, both people have to say yes. Some of them, one person can say yes. So, yeah, he, he recorded it. I hope it was legally. Otherwise, he's going to be in a bit of trouble. But, uh, yeah, it was that's interesting out, to... It's out there now. Yeah, uh, it's out there. Now. Yeah, and the clip is played on the, on, like I say, on the Good Trouble show. It's quite a quite a short clip. Um, was it just me? Or did that clip make Arrow sound a bit incompetent and inefficient. I expected it to be like a professional, Mr. Salas, you're being recorded by Arrow. And I'm going to ask, it was more like a, uh, yeah, we don't really know. Um, yeah, I mean, that. Yeah, I can't, yeah, we've checked that, but we've not really been able to get that. And it was really, I think it highlighted for me, when, you know, we talk about people think the government, the big bad government, and, you know, it's it's a big well-oiled well-run system and it's really not it's people that work in offices and departments behind desks that tie into other departments and those have corridors which link into bigger corridors and it just it 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 wasn't surprising to me and to your point it ties in with that recent events comment you made that it's better to focus on recent events because the further back you go the easier it is for them to either play dumb or probably quite rightly say we don't have that data or the i think they mentioned on that clip the arrow clip with robert salas that the tapes are gone they're lost they don't have them anymore who can you ask because the people who were involved at the time are either incredibly old now or they've passed away they're not going to remember oh dan do you remember 65 years ago the data tapes from you know the radar we had at the time where do you think those would be now no idea mate retired 35 years ago yeah, 100%. Um, someone commented that the B2 bomber tapes have been lost. You know, someone put them somewhere. They don't know where they are. I misplaced my AirPods today. You, you know, there's yeah. things that are important to us we misplaced. But it, it's you're absolutely right. We have to remember that the organizations are full of different people. Um, there were a lot of comments today about, you know, these guys are going to lie to us on the panel and so on and so forth. And I was just thinking, I was like, I really don't think these are the guys that, you know, would be in on the secret. You know, there's no kind no. of data dump in the NASA, NASA employee initiation process when you get a job there that kind of says, oh, actually, yeah, we edit the videos and then we hide UFOs all the time. These people seem very genuine in their intent here. And if I was one of the secret keepers, I mean, I wouldn't tell anyone at the organization that I was taking their raw data and kind of keeping it. And, and there was a pertinent point that they made about data and uh, it, I think it was the guy from the FAA said that they don't have unprocessed data, which means that, you know, uh, a good comparison is Chris Mallon when he's talking about stuff that's detected on satellites coming in mm-hmm. from space. The UAP stuff is going to be outliers. 
And in terms of keeping that data around, you generally don't if you're doing stats. You know, you get rid of the outliers and you look at your trends and patterns without them. That's the stuff we need now. And it seems like we just don't have it because we didn't keep the raw data. And it's frustrating, but, you know, if someone's gone in and scooped up the raw data before they deleted it, cool. But we don't really know where that is. And, you know, Nadia Drake, for example, doesn't know where it is. She's just working on what she has, you know? Yeah, these, you're right when you say these aren't the folks who are sitting in the room as they airbrush UAPs out of the Martian landscape or, you know, the moon of Phobos and whatever that may or may not have on it that they're going, ah, do you know what? We've got this cracking HD photo of a tower. Yeah, let's just airbrush that out and stick it, stick the raw file on. These aren't the folks that are sitting there doing that kind of stuff. They aren't the ones that have been there for 30, 40 years in the background monitoring what happens when it happens. And yeah, that's just, these aren't those people. I mean, they could be, but I very, very, very much doubt it. Um, and like you say, this was a group of of scientists, academics, who have been called in to to try and make this as independent as possible um, on the face of it anyway. So, yeah, it, it looked to me like they were, the language was positive, that they were they were quite open. I like the format of it being like an open discussion and meeting where yeah. they were actually questioning each other and making yeah. points off the back of what each other um, were saying as well. Um, it was like watching I, them kind of brainstorm in front of you, you know, and I, I appreciate that. I want to be in that room when they're doing their job. I, I'd give anything. <laughs> yeah. And uh, something that struck me as well is when we talked about this the first time and we were saying they should go back through the archival footage, I realise in listening to to these people talk, given their backgrounds and their expertise and their skill sets, similar to what you said, Dan, it's all very well, people like me and you, and any number of folks listening or watching this, we see some of those famous videos of like, UFOs in space. Do you remember the one where it shows you the the kind of curve, the Earth curving, and sorry, flat earthers, but oh, no, it like comes in and zips and out. It, yeah, it comes in as exactly a flash and it zooms away. Okay, yep. and we can point to that and go, "Ha, that's intelligent movement. That's moved out the way. Something was fired at it." These scientists are not going to watch that and go, oh, Christ, there's an alien spaceship. Yeah, so that's that's right. They are going to look at that and say, we need all the other data that would be around that to point to exactly what this is and what it isn't, because they might not even know what, you know, the there there is, as we say. And I, I try to get an analogy for it and a really bad one with my sword ear, but... I, I don't believe it. You're good with your analogies. Go on, ah, drop it on us. <laughs> so it's a bit like looking at a messy cutlery drawer, okay, and determining how many forks you have before you've taken all the crap out of it, tidied it, and then started putting things back together in like a nice and neat order. You know, looking at your shitty drawer with all your stuff, going, oh, I've got 10 forks. But if you do it the right way and you pull everything out, find the stuff you have, put it back, you go, actually, I've got seven forks. You find the condition of them, the make of them, and maybe you find out a few other things about them as well. And that's what they kind of have to do because they need all that other data. They're not going to watch a video and say, it's probably an alien spaceship because that's not how this works for them and it's not how their minds work either. People like me and you, how many times, Dan, though, will there be videos that me and you look at and we'll get to go fast, or uh, which was talked about, and we'll go, ah, oh, well, given what we've been told, that's, that's likely something non-human, that's likely exotic technology, but someone else with a more mathematical, pragmatic, logical, science-based mindset goes, ah, I'm going to do all the work here first, and, you know, they come up with a different conclusion. Not to say that was correct. Actually, can we talk about the go fast thing? Yeah, I was literally just going to go in yeah. on it because there's, there's, it's a rich conversation point, right? But go, go ahead. Wasn't expecting that to come up. Um, 
that they would bring up, you know, one of those now infamous three videos that were released or leaked, as we know. I get one of them is around beforehand, etc. Back in uh, 2017 now. But the for those that may or may not remember, the go fast was the kind of tic-tac looking object shooting across the surface of the ocean. The famous, whoa, got it. Oh, what the fuck is that thing? You know, audio that you hear everywhere. Um, They've basically had one of the scientists. Have you got his name there, Dan? I can't remember who it was. Joseph? Uh, Dr. Josh. Joseph? Josh. Josh. I do have his name here. Josh uh, Josephson. Josh Sameter. Dr. Okay. Josh Sameter, Sameter. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, Josh, Josh S is to his friends. Josh, that's what he likes to be called. Yeah, um, so <laughs> Doctor Josh, who went through all those years of training for us to call him Josh S, um, he basically gave a breakdown, didn't he, using the data that's on the screen of why he believes the object is only moving actually at forty miles an hour, which is in keeping with the wind speed, and it could likely be a balloon. Now that's caused a bit of a flap online from the the limited time I spent online this afternoon and this evening that um one the pilots have all said otherwise there's also been people like chris mellon lou elizondo who have talked about that object performs a right angle turn apparently in the longer version of the video but we have to say again we have never seen the longer version of the video you know the wider community we've only heard there is a longer version of the video um but this uh, uh jo- josh sorry i was gonna call him joseph josh dr josh um josh s he has, from the data presented to him, come up with a conclusion using basic trigonometry, as he says. What were your thoughts on what he's presented? It was really interesting. It, it brought to mind the the point we were talking about a few weeks back where, you know, what expert would people listen to on this subject? And so many people have done this work with GoFast. I'm saying that it's anomalous. I'm saying that it's not. Um, and it was interesting to hear, you know, a NASA expert break this down for us. And he didn't take any work from the internet or social media accounts or, you know, from the the game developer who, who likes to look at these things. He did it all himself. And whether you love it or hate it, that's his conclusion. You don't have to agree with it, but you would need to respond with, you know, scientific, robust kind of response in, in a peer-reviewed manner. Um, I, I'd like to see him present a peer-reviewed paper on it, even if it was short, just to start that conversation of back and forth, because, you know, probably Matthew Sidekis from the SCU, uh, the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies, he would probably refute that, you know, and, and come back out with his own paper. That's the conversation we're looking at and and seeing the different reactions to Josh's uh, presentation just made me kind of realize that the bias inherent in this conversation. and On all sites. The, on the all bias sides, on yeah. all sides, yeah. hundred percent on all sides. You know, we, we all have it. And we've got to be mindful of that because you can't just go, oh, well, I disagree in my gut. Therefore, you know, Josh is incompetent. He's clearly competent, but we need to see why he decided these things and try and understand it, you know, instead of just saying Josh is wrong and not presenting any information. I'd like to thank Laird Superfood for sponsoring this episode. My nutrition has changed a lot over the last year since I decided to look after myself a little bit more, not just for me, but my family too. One constant though is my coffee, and you'll know I'm a big coffee lover. It's not just part of my morning, but my daily routine. Laird Superfood and their creamers have been a bit of a game changer for me and taking my coffee game to a whole new level. It's the perfect way to not only fuel your morning, but your whole day with organic, natural, plant-based ingredients. And for me as a diabetic, there is no sugar from highly refined coffee. 
corn syrup. There's also a huge variety of snacks, baking mixes and protein options for you to try, all made with plant-based ingredients to keep you charged for whatever life takes you. Are you ready to feel more energised, focused and supported? Go to lairdsuperfood.com and add nourishing plant-based foods to fuel you from sunset to sunrise. Use promo code THATUFO at checkout to save 15% off your purchase today. Uh, it tickled me a little bit that Graham Brendel on social media was kind of asking like, oh, they should go in on Gimbal and have a look and then GoFast popped up. And I was like, oh, yeah. so close, so close, Graham. Um, but they yeah. did, um, Kirkpatrick did at one point talk about sensor jitters with another video that he presented, mm-hmm. which, you know, just side note, that's three new UAP videos we've gotten out of the DOD in the past two months. That's kind of cool. Was this the video of the three star or the three, three dots? dots? Yeah. And it was like, because at first they presented it as if, ah, oh, this is really interesting. Here's a UAP video. And the three dots come along and he mentions that it looks like they're moving, but they're not moving. It's just the sensor, as you say, moving yeah. side to side. It shows the commercial airliner flying underneath, going from left to right, as you would expect. So these three dots aren't commercial airlines, are they? Because there's a commercial airline flying. However, they then mentioned it was resolved and they found out based on date, location, time, everything they had, mm-hmm. these objects were just other airlines, but flying away towards or away from basically I the think cat, away they the were lens. further away than they initially thought yeah. or something like that that was and it yeah yeah sean sean spoke about the the jitter being not from the camera moving and stuff like that but actually from the sensor trying to stabilize itself which i thought was maybe a little bit of shade at gimbal because that's the solution there supposedly for some people that you know the the whole thing kind of pivoted and it makes it look like there's a there's a rotating object there but it's not really rotating um i thought that was a little you know almost a, a wink to, to wiping gimbal off the table. But for, for me, that explanation didn't cut it. You know, I, I love what Sean Kirkpatrick's doing and stuff like that, but they were all perfectly equally spaced. And, you know, not, nothing's perfect in this way. That one will be a little more forward than the rest, you, you know, maybe something like that. I, I'd really love, again, to see that peer-reviewed data. And he, he said that he's going to present it on a website. So I look forward to that and that transparency, you know. Do you think, just on what you've said there, there's any danger that some of these cases that are being resolved, quote-unquote, aren't, shouldn't have been resolved as, you know, something prosaic and that potentially you're you're relying on their word, an arrow, to not maybe go, ah, nah, just, yeah, it's probably our liners, just resolve it, when actually, was it something else? Because that's what you're getting at with your, and yeah. you're right about the distance. And but then again, just look weird. He, it didn't seem but to then here's two laymen's though sitting sure. talking about why 100%. these people who know better, uh, it's not coming. So we're kind of making our own points, aren't we? But yeah, yeah, absolutely. I get what you mean. <laughs> it's like it shouldn't be that perfect. Those three things in a row, and then why are they all flying in a row like that? And I get the way at different distances, yeah. but. And and I feel like a few of the scientists on the panel kind of brought up these questions and were like, hmm, okay, we'll take you at your word for now, but we'd like to see the data behind this decision. And and Sean's always been very open about how they make these decisions, right? That it goes to two independent teams, one in the IC or the intelligence community, the other one in a kind of more kind of scientific-minded group will look at it. And then he brings those things together and compares them. And then they have a final kind of powwow on deciding, you know, where, where it's ultimately, whether it's resolved or whether it's not so it's gone through a few people already but he did say in the hearings that peer-reviewed papers is what they were going to present on these things so you know i won't i won't judge or get mad at him until i get to read that and maybe maybe i'll learn something or two you know 
Yeah, I think the two teams they send them to, I've got the names of the individuals. It's one is uh, Mick West and the other's John Ramirez. So I think we're getting a good, a good basis, yeah. I think you know. it's serious then. <laughs> yeah, no, can you imagine? Um, yeah, so for me, uh, interesting stuff. Uh, Sean Kirkpatrick's presentation, we saw some of the slides similar to his presentation back with uh, Kirsten Gillibrand um, a few weeks ago. And yeah, I then didn't get to see a lot of the the conversation that happened afterwards. What were some of the highlights, Dan, that you may have written down, hopefully? Uh, Dan has left himself on mute. There we go. Timestamp that one, folks. Take a shot. (laughs) Old school. Um, At one point, Sean in his presentation made some recommendations to NASA, and they went from, you know, looking at making sure that the data follows a prescribed format so it's scientifically viable because they said that most data collected by organizations that are out there, I assume they mean Enigma or various other people like that, or organizations like that, isn't scientifically viable. There's like bias in the data. Um, Was that the citizen science conversation? They had that a few times they mentioned. And I got the impression, again, from a limited viewing, that some of them seemed quite for the whole citizen science aspect of it Mm -hmm. and others seemed to be a little bit hmm, more standoffish about citizen science and how that may work well it can kind of muddy the data pool right but they talked about things like apps you you know kind of uh notifying people in the area that there's an anomalous event going on so they could get triangulated data and they a few times said they're not sure whether they're going to use cell phone videos and photos because they're just not good enough yeah um which is an interesting comparison point to you know the recent flares thing right um then sean was talking about uh, a large-scale ground-based scientific instrument evaluation uh, which is very much, you know, kind of what Galileo Project is doing, using Earth science satellites to look at geology and, you know, water flow and currents and things like that, uh, to look at UAP, um, helping the NOAA kind of come up with data collection platforms for UAP. Um, I'm going to trip over this word now, but peer-reviewed parametization of advanced capabilities not yet engineered. Sounds like ATIP, right? Not peer-reviewed, but looking at capabilities that have not been engineered yet that's exactly what it was doing yeah um looking at archive scientifically uh or scientific anomalous data review so this is looking at nasa's archives and seeing what they can apply there there was a lot of conversation about um ai and machine learning which are one and the same um what we call ai now is really just you know machine learning there's nothing intelligent about it but we just use the term um, looking at distributions of sightings, so identifying areas maybe based on social media and things like that, where these events commonly seem to happen, um, and also foreign partnerships. And we heard Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick say for the first time that he actually had a meeting with Five Eyes last week, a forum that's with the UK, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, and the USA. That's big. A number of people probably have got their FOIA, you know, FOIA engines kind of started on that. Uh, it's really interesting. The UK is typically stum when it comes to talking about this stuff so it, it's great that they're involved and hopefully they're going to be helpful rather than hindering you know um there was a sean got pushed on the numbers too about you know what he, he said a small percentage of these are anomalous and there were 800 reports now because he integrated the faa data and uh you know you can work that out then to be like what 15 to 40 50 cases that are seemingly anomalous that's a mm-hmm. big load i'd love to see those you know let's talk about those things if they're truly anomalous if they're truly uh, anomalous yeah, yeah. not just that's... unresolved because yeah that that would be disappointing if it was imagine those three dots we've talked about that they're saying commercial airliners if they left that as anomalous you would go ah, it's still quite vague and disappointing you'd be hoping those 16 cases are wow cases like yeah. 
we're not going to show you those because that is the good stuff. Yeah, and, and there was a comment. Uh, what is it you said? We see these all over the world. This is talking about the metallic orbs, and we see these making very interesting apparent maneuvers. That was Shades of Obama for me. You know, they're making patterns and maneuvers that we don't really understand. What, what does he mean by apparent maneuvers? And not just to be pernickety about language, but I, I saw that and I was like, apparent maneuvers? I think just playing it safe. Same same with like seemingly anomalous. He's kind of saying, okay. yeah, it's anomalous as far as we know right now, but with more work, we might realize actually this isn't anomalous at all. So they yeah. can't definitively say it's anomalous, you know? Um, and yeah, so then from there on, each of the panel members kind of gave presentations. Nadia Drake spoke about framing the UAP issue, um, talking about filling in gaps. And I really felt Nadia delivered today. There were a few moments where she really stood up and said, you know, thankful for the work of the DIA, the DOD, but we're doing this. We've got this. Science will do this. We don't need you guys. You know, they, it felt like a challenge to them. And I really appreciated that. She said, it's not our job to define nature. It's our job to to let nature tell us. Um, she made an analogy about a needle in a haystack that came back later um, with David Grinspoon kind of saying, you know, it's it's not even a needle in a haystack. It's We don't even know we're looking for a needle at the moment. So exactly. how do we do yeah. this? And that, that was a great little comment. Uh, David Grinspoon, for me, one of the heroes of this whole presentation, along with uh, Dr. Federica Bianco, both outstanding, um, both clearly up for being challenged in their beliefs, you know, um, and being totally open to what they find. So they, it, it was very encouraging to, to hear them on there. Do you think on that, so a lot of people, and you see this especially online, will, not that it's wrong or right, I'm going to sit on the fence, will shout about <laughs> that, We've got all the proof we need. We've got all the evidence that, you know, the, the saucers are in the hangars. They're buried under the desert. You know, we've got the bases. We've got the tech. We've got the TR-3B. Do you think people have to take a step back and go, look, if we do now have scientists and academics looking to get involved in this, we have to realize they are going at it from square zero, not even yeah. square one. And you have to forget they're not even thinking, okay, we're going after aliens here, that they're looking at something anomalous and like you say that needle in a haystack they don't even know needles exist yet so they're yes. literally going at this raw they're looking for raw data what do you have that they can start looking at and look, literally look for those patterns to say what have you got that we go wow that's interesting let's look at that further without that bias of yeah we're trying to look for aliens yeah. because yeah. you need to forget that we need to forget not completely, but just for for moments like this and for things like this, forget Roswell, forget the Phoenix Lights, forget Betty and Barney Hill, forget all the abduction experiences. You have to just <laughs> someone's throw a shoe at this area right now. Hundred <laughs> percent, yeah. But even like even like mass sighting, like you have to forget it. It's not relevant to what they are doing. But it doesn't mean that they might not help get the progress to get to the point where all that stuff comes back into the conversation for them. Yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, the the way that they spoke about kind of being able to tackle this is uh, to define life as we know it, right? To, to come up with the signatures in a database where we can apply machine learning that will just kind of go, cool, that's a missile, that's a drone, that's a weather pattern. Do you know and what it's then, like? Go on. It's like, it's like showing you're working in maths. Yeah. You know, when you would have like an exam and I was one of those that could sit down and they would show me this, the equation and I can go, oh, the answer is this, but it was worth seven points. And I would struggle to get seven ways to show how I got there. Sure. These are the people that can literally go, never mind the answer. We can do all the working and get to the answer. And that's that's what we need. These are the folks. Sorry to interrupt, but that's that's yeah, the way no, I'm you're, you're totally right. 
I don't have that in me to do that, whereas these people do. I'm already at, yeah, it's aliens, but I need these folks who are going, ah, well, well, I'm not getting to that point yet. I'm going to get the seven points. I'm going to get the seven marks <laughs> to get to your answer. And that's sure. what we need. And that's important for people looking in as well. You know, this very stigma kept coming up in this event over and over and over, talking about how we tackle it. And people made the the very relevant point that the very event taking place today, NASA hosting it, hugely reduces the stigma in terms of, you yeah. know, kind of getting this forward. Um, when we look at uh, David Greenspoon or Dr. David Greenspoon, Dr. Greenspoon, can I call him that? We friends? Uh, David um, G. David G. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, he, he said that we're looking for life as we know it because Earth is our one example of a habitable planet with life. That's fair enough. You know, he seemed open to kind of, you, you know, he brought up the fact that 20 years ago, we didn't think there were any planets outside the Milky Way. And now we're up to like 5,000 odd mm. um, and, and really kind of considering. Um, he also spoke on, on uh, you know, one discovery. So if they were to get data that suggested like a techno signature or some life out there, some intelligent life, that you wouldn't just announce it right away that you're going to send other instruments to go look for it. And and that's a really pertinent point. Uh, like a month or two ago, Jimmy Church said, you know, someone emailed me that, from the James Webb team saying that they found technological life. And that would really be putting the cart in front of the horse. You know, you can read things like that when you know the scientific process and kind of go, no, that's nonsense. You would send a probe, you would send something else. Are you else. trying to say Jimmy Church was being sensationalist, Dan? I am, Come yeah. on, come on. <laughs> no, I, I love what Jimmy does, don't get me wrong. But, you know, that that there's there's almost an inherent logic to some things that takes some of the more sensational claims off the table you know and it's um, similar too and this isn't a dig but that skinwalker ranch or a documentary released by james fox because we love james and what his work isn't going to have smoking gun disclosure after six months of post-production yeah they would have that out now or in the short term with a press release and done the right way and reviewed james fox if he got the evidence uh, do you know what james fox for example who again like i say we love if yeah, he got james. the video of the virginia being standing there whatever it was he wouldn't wait and say i'm going to put this out in a documentary no i don't think so he'd I, I be on a, a media platform he yeah he wouldn't he'd be on live news i've got the video big announcement nine o'clock on friday evening here it is bang there's the video um that's what would happen or even like a rogan potentially it would be like a live joe rogan because modern day but you would go for the biggest audience, which is still TV. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, fair point. Sorry, yeah. Exactly. There, there was an interesting point he made about searching for anomalous things in the solar system as well, that really that's NASA's kind of remit. Once you get, you know, above a certain height above the Earth, it's all NASA. NASA's the only people looking there. Um, and that just brought me shades of Oumuamua. And throughout this whole thing, I just kept thinking of Project Galileo, who released a bunch of peer-reviewed papers the other day. And I'll just I'll touch on those real quick. Yeah, go um, on. That basically the papers explore different branches of what they're doing at Project Galileo. Uh, they were looking at interstellar objects, interstellar meteors, UAP, UAP computing and processing pipelines, UAP wide field observations, which is like a wide camera, basically. Um, acoustics, radar networks, satellite data, you know, and all the papers kind of focus on what they would do with it, how they would define it, you know, getting to know the tools and, and the parameters of what they could see on there. Um, and it almost feels like Galileo Project has 
because they don't have this governmental red tape, they've just run with this. So mm-hmm. when NASA's kind of going, oh yeah, maybe we'll make a sensor system with multiple different sensors, Project Galileo or Avi is just over there going, yeah, we, we've done this. Do you, do you want in on this? <laughs> you know, and they've made the software and things like that. So, so they can if save I, some work for each other. If I copy and paste all those peer reviewed papers into Dan GPT and ask Dan <laughs> GPT to summarize it quickly for me, sure. what, what work have they done? What's the impact of this work? So basically it's laying the groundwork for what we know so that when something anomalous comes along, we can definitively say it's anomalous and it's not a trick of the sensor. It's not, you know, all these other little weird quirks that are always said to be. Um, yeah, essentially very citizen science heavy uh, and, and they're real eager. So, I mean, I can go through it in detail with you if you want. Um, but the the few standout things is uh, I've used a few new acronyms throughout the papers. Um, IMs, interstellar meteors, ISOs, interstellar objects, and ETCs. Not heard that one before. Extraterrestrial technological civilizations. Interesting way to talk about it. And today we even heard um, the term non-human intelligence being mentioned yeah. in this briefing. And it was to deny that they exist. But that phrase hasn't been out there before. This is like, you know, you could almost suspect that it's seeding these kind of ideas slowly, drip, drip, drip with the disclosure, um, if you wanted to think that way. To get to the point of, well, actually, we said it doesn't exist, but we've just got this piece of data or actually this data set or we've been looking at X and we've found Y. So, yeah, like you say, it just introduces a language, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you had a bingo card out there, I would have struck it off, even though it denied it. It was like, it was mentioned. Mm, That's cheating. Yeah, that's cheating. Yeah. But, but yeah, you you know, we just reiterated, or they reiterated a lot of what we've heard from Galileo Project anyway, but just in a peer-reviewed form. And as we always say, this is the language of science. This is how we professionalize the UAP studies and move things forward there. Um, They were looking at, the phrase patterns of life was mentioned again the other day and a lot of that plays into what galileo were doing essentially identifying what a signature of an airplane is or a drone and being able to just apply that to data gathered and and have these ai or ml systems just wipe out the prosaic stuff and leave you with the really interesting anomalous things to kind of work on um so yeah that's in a little nutshell that's kind of what the Galileo stuff is. I'd recommend people go reading the abstracts. They're just like summary pieces in the front of the papers that you yeah. know don't get into the math and things like that. Um, but there's nothing, you know, there are no bombshells, as people like to say in there. It's just more, you know, it's a big moment. There's the seven peer-reviewed papers that are out there now, and, and before they were a very limited amount. Um, it's cool to think that someone from Harvard is doing this. And they all have so many authors as well that it's just, yeah, it's impressive. And Avi has a new book out in a few months. Does he? What's the book? Yes. Uh, the book's called Interstellar, and it comes out on August 29th. Um, cool. Nice. Would you yeah. just, just kind of, that's like a month after we heard the report was coming this year, Kirkpatrick said, August 1, or August 1st, as the rest of us say. Mm. Um, the the public unclassified UAP annual report will will come out with updated figures and things like that for us to dig into and no doubt complain about and praise and you know really tear apart. But again, as we always say, this is now chapter three of a six chapter book that we're going to get at the very least studying this stuff from the point of view of the the federal government essentially. I mean, this uh, book's been a slow burner so far, Dan. I hope we've got a interesting <laughs> twist coming up soon. Yeah, it's worse than Game of Thrones. Do you I think they're so. definitely going to get the last one in? I'm still waiting on Kiefer Sutherland coming in and kicking a door down somewhere, <laughs> you know, and his daughter being kidnapped. Um, Imagine. But, 
to to re, to round off the NASA stuff then, um, went well. What was the final kind of moments? Are, are we looking at is this getting extended? Are we going to get funding for it? Is this going to continue? Somebody asked about MUD funding in the in the media conference um and the response was like hey look we were just coming up with a roadmap we didn't give them a budget or anything like that really what nasa do is they ask a bunch of these independent teams to come up with roadmaps and plans and things like that and then during summer they will assess it when the report is released i think it was end of july they said that we'll be able to read that yeah um and then they'll go from there but you know the highlights of five eyes the 15 to 40 anomalous events in arrow um seeing experts really dig into this and seem to salivate in the moment you know um i know nadia dr nadia drake has, has experienced some kind of backlash online and like i said i feel like she had an incredible show in today you know like for someone that said it's not aliens um she certainly seems open to it uh you know when you go beyond 140 characters <laughs> um I felt like Dr. Kirkpatrick was almost nudging NASA to kind of say, go on, do the things I can't because my hands are tied in certain ways. Um, That in itself is interesting. Um, They recommended to look at archival data. They recommended that a permanent NASA office is established to look at UAP uh, so that the work isn't in vain. That was when they were talking about harassment and things like that and kind of saying, you know, this could go away if the right person wanted it to go away. Uh, Do you know what's quite funny? You you would just kind of think NASA would have had that stuff anyway, wouldn't you, given it's NASA? You would. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You really would. Um, and, and especially with Bill Nelson being at the head of it, who was on one of the subcommittees that started this whole thing anyway with the language. Um, you know, I can't see it going away, but the more work they do, the more it's destigmatized. Do, do you know what it's a little bit like? Thing. Imagine we had like an organization for the world that was just in charge of the oceans. And <laughs> that organization, when you went to it one day, you were like, ah, so who's looking at all the animals in there? Oh, we don't look at those. Yeah, just, just the water. <laughs> yeah, but they're in there. Well, could be. We don't know. Yeah, that's should... it. The space an animal occupies is the absence of water, so we don't look at that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, if anything, they're a hindrance. Um, just ignore <laughs> them. Move, move on. I'd like to thank Liquid IV for sponsoring this episode. Folks, you've heard me bang on about my own health and fitness journey the last year or so and how it's true that by looking after yourself, you just feel better. Staying hydrated is key to having the energy to get through your daily routine feeling good. That's where Liquid IV is the category winning hydration brand fueling your well-being and their hydration multiplier is the one product you may be missing in that daily routine. Eating and drinking healthy can sometimes be boring, but the range of flavours offered by Liquid IV takes care of that, with lemon and lime, pina colada and tropical punch among some of the best, though I'm particularly fond of the strawberry lemonade. Just one stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone, containing five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12 and vitamin C, with three times the electrolytes of premium sports drinks and its non g GMO and gluten-free, dairy and soya-free too. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code THATUFO at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code THATUFO at liquidiv.com. Uh, so yeah, um, and the public portion of the public questions, that's one thing I didn't get to see. Yeah, I mean, was that was any, interesting. anything interesting from there? So... A lot of the questions were kind of bundled into subject areas because they just have a lot of questions. They've also said that stuff that they didn't get to, they'll be posting answers to on their website in the coming kind of months and stuff, which is cool. Um, So they spoke about uh, what data is in the report. So again, they reiterated that they're creating a roadmap to better data collection, not necessarily looking backwards. Um, 
spoke about hiding of info. Someone asked about cutting of the International Space Station feed, uh, to which they said, you know, no, not as far as we're aware. Um, again, these people don't work on those cameras. They could be a disconnect there. Don't just that attack happen because they said no. Because 100% happen. You're right. happens. You're right. Um, USOs, Sean Kirkpatrick said that there was nothing on record of a USO and that anything that goes under the water was actually a sensor anomaly. And there's nothing in those 800 reports he has that is a USO. Pretty interesting. Considering, Sorry, can, you, can you smell that then? <laughs> mm. yeah. is that, mm. is it, does that smell of cow dung? Is that, is mm, that what it smells Potentially, yeah. <laughs> it smells like BS from... <laughs> DK. DS. 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 Yeah. Disc. Sean K. Yeah. Then solving the stigma as well. Um, working with partners uh, got brought up where they were just talking about, you know, this was where non human intelligence was mentioned. Um, yeah. And this was really them talking about working with private space companies. Um, apparently, a bunch of private space companies wanted to present today, which makes you wonder, like, oh, okay, does. SpaceX have some information they maybe want to share or, you know, that, that'd be interesting to hear from them. Um, then they spoke about budgeting, which we already spoke about. Um, and also what would NASA do if ET was discovered, which I thought was interesting, you know, what would they actually do? And the answer was a lot of more science, right. Uh, to, to kind of confirm what it is and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just makes my brain kind of go to, okay, so if you send a probe to a planet to look at intelligent life, that intelligent life is going to experience their tic-tac from us. You, you know, yep. it's a really interesting to think about. Um, they mentioned that more people were watching today than watch a typical NASA live stream. So like you said earlier, the figures, you know, people might be looking, thinking they're low, but actually there's huge interest in this. Um, it's and, still not, still not depth versus heard, no, which will always not. be my go-to. Maybe if we can get Johnny Depp in court again and him talking about it on the stand, just a sidebar of UAP, you, you know, that would uh, be that, fantastic. That would yeah. um, but yeah, they, they made the point, you know, they'd be highly driven to share results. Captain Jack Arrow. <laughs> nice. I like Thanks. it. Thanks. <laughs> Clap that. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I want to I see some art. <laughs> just it to AI. Um, and yeah, they, they were kind of saying, you know, we want to show that we're succeeding. We're paid to succeed. So therefore, we want to show that we're succeeding. So if we found something, uh, we would absolutely share it and follow it up, you know, with our international partners and things like that. We saw it with the Black Hole Park series building up to it in the 12th episode. Yeah, for sure. Um, then, uh, yeah, the brainstorming out loud, needle in the haystack thing. Like I said, heroes for me today were Federica Bianco and David Grinspoon. Their names I think we should look out for. Um, maybe email, try and get into a conversation. I know you've been talking to Nadia um, for a possible future show, so I that'd mean, be given, wonderful. Given the online abuse I've all been getting, I don't know how likely that is now. But yeah. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> um, mentioned that they want to make the app. Um, and also, just after this, uh, looking on the BBC front page, boom, there it was, right on the front page, really big, not small, not downplaying it, not talking about, oh, most of them are solved. It was talking about right up front in the article that a lot of cases are unsolved and seem to be anomalous, which was kind of a sea change, right? This is this is what we get with NASA coming into this game and just yeah. being honest about it. And just overall, you you know, it finished and I, I turned to Elena and I was like, did we just watch a four-odd bleeping hour NASA event on UAP? When did this become normal? Uh, it's yeah. no Infinity War slash Endgame saga, but <laughs> it'll do. But I think we've had 42 minutes on that now. Thank you for the for the recap and all the bullet points, Dan. Very much appreciated. Um, it was positive. I think you said so the same. More than what I expected. And fingers crossed, after that report, we see some kind of movement in terms of NASA staying involved, opening up that budget, getting more of a budget 
to let folks work on this in the way that they're suggesting. Yeah, 100%. You know, if there was a five-year-old watching today who's inspired to go study UAP and do it with all seriousness, boom. Mission accomplished, as far as I'm concerned. Probably you know. need someone 18 plus, but I appreciate the sentiment, Dan. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um, one, one thing to mention just before we close out, Michael Masters, Dr. Michael Masters has a new book. Um, Olaf and I had the pleasure of doing the cover, which we thought was wonderful. We had a good time doing it, but... Um, it's called Revelation, the Future Human Past. And, and just as a little kind of summary, um, the back of the book blurb says, as society teeters on the brink of nuclear apocalypse, Marcus Moksha, an oversexed alcoholic anthropologist, encounters Dodon, a telepathic woman from the future who recognizes his import to the fate of humanity. She recruits him to join her team of time-traveling scientists aboard the UFO as they venture back to the distant past, seeking to enact a change that will bring peace to his time and avert the Great War. So this is really Michael running with his idea of these ufos time travelers from the future and kind of thinking okay in fiction how can i explore what that would actually look like from their point of view really interesting michael's on the podcast in two weeks to discuss that in detail Mm -hmm. yeah i've got one of the first copies of the book before michael has a copy actually because of the the way he sent it out it was like yeah um you're going to get it before me so send me pictures of what it looks like (laughs) i was like oh yeah no bother yeah Um, that was the same first time i saw the cover as well so that that's wild nice uh right anyway yeah so something we hadn't talked about last week and that happened and there's been follow-up to and it's worth kind of going over was jeremy corbell and george knapp announced a high noon uh, new uap case um it was the mojave desert triangle And that dropped last week to a lot of scuttlebutt and fanfare and everything in between. And essentially, to recap, there were lights in the sky observed and recorded by Marines out in the Mojave Desert and a test area, test range. That's about a thousand square miles in April 2021. Um, The the lights were like five points of light in a sort of triangular looking formation from the angle of the picture that was posted online. The initial uh, episode of Weaponized presented it with the audio from the Marines filming it. Um, we were told that from a few different video clips of this that the longer the objects were there, or the object was a solid body, it was a craft, and it was there for up to half an hour, 35 minutes. None of the video showed that. Um, it got a lot of questions online i think it was the usual split of wow this is amazing down to absolute nothing burger um a few people done some work online including john greenwald i know mick west done some work on it and you've got to give them credit where it's due because they very quickly found dates and times relating to a military training exercise at the same date and time um where flares were dropped this is where things get a bit muddied though because you had testimony from marines confirming or they they were at least saying they saw a body or an apparent body of a craft and that the object was there for a long time however if you just look at the data and we we always say and other people say we need more data on these things the data really does point to it was flares dropping there were even some some other pictures and videos showing the descent of the flares and none of the supposed longer videos Bear in mind you're on mute, Dan, when you talk. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> I just said thank you to Gnosis for his little graphic of the yeah, no, that's movement. Right. Um, none of the longer videos are actually there or have been seen by Jeremy Corbell. So I get to all that. That was what happened in the first week. Um, but in the follow-up, Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp have just released a show where they're looking over 
that initial episode they done, they said they worked on it for two years. George Knapp was quick to follow up. It wasn't two years of solid research. It was on and off. Obviously, they're busy people as well. So for anyone who pointed at, you've done this for two years and this is what you've got, <laughs> that wasn't the case. Um, so in the follow-up, Knapp and Corbell have showed they only presented the initial case, then, then said it's time to investigate, giving off the impression that they, they put that out there for other people to then do some legwork. They played some additional audio of Marines calling up to say what they believe they saw, including it formed a craft, it wasn't flares dropping, they know what flares look like. Um, so let's get to it then. Part of the issue I feel with this, Dan, is people who don't like Jeremy Corbell, of which there are plenty, and Jeremy knows that yeah. as well, and to a lesser extent, people who kind of bash George Knapp, um, aren't going to like anything they put out. And if it was other people, may have had more time and patience for it. Uh, there's a bit of a cult of personality that goes on around that. Um, but they put that information out there and they got what they wanted quickly. And that was the public working on this. Uh, and like I say, the work John Greenwald, Mick West and others have done seemed to point to it was flares. So what, what's what been your initial thoughts on all of this? And then kind of where we're at? Yeah, it's it's a really curious case. Like like most of these drops, I tend to like to sit back and just see what data falls out from it, from the discussion, instead of, you know, going knee deep in it. And, and yeah, just making my mind upon limited data. Um, you know, we, we had a statement from Susan Goff, who, who pointed at the uh, weapons and tactics instructor course was being conducted. And that's where a lot of the activity for the Humvees and helicopters that we heard about was. Mm -hmm. But I would say Jeremy and George were very upfront in that first episode saying, you know, we're putting this out there because we want people to help us. In a way, I kind of wish they did that earlier instead of holding it back for two years. Um, you know, we, we seem to get pretty far within a short amount of time uh, once it was released, you know. Um, and it, like you say, there's that cult of personality at play. We heard initially there were about 50 witnesses, probably closer to, you know, eight that are actually speaking. Um, mm -hmm. And it's really curious to, to hear those guys talk. What we have to remember is that their expertise are their expertise. You know, one, one of the guys, for example, said... Um, I'm a flare expert. They they don't fall for that long. When we heard from other places already that actually some flares do fall for a half hour and, and we really can't count that out. And yeah. neither of those people are being malicious. They're just sharing what they know. Yeah. And that's where we've got to kind of, you know, be easy on people and kind of say, okay, sure, you saw that. Let's kind of dig in. There was and a... you, can, you can misremember as well, can't you? Not again maliciously, but and this this is not to downplay any Marines or combat veterans or anything like that but you can misremember any event i remember things i'd done in school playing football at lunchtime and i scored a goal from 35 yards out into the top corner great volley and everyone ran after me and cheered probably didn't happen like that but it's just the way my memory's remembering it. You got you know a medal I mean? as well, right? And then you played for Real Madrid Absolutely. and you scored the winning yeah. goal. 100%, yeah. <laughs> and that's just that's just what happens to, to memory. Um, and confirmation bias comes into it. Some yeah. of the folks, and I'll be really honest, and I, I messaged Jeremy about this after as well, just kind of having a bit of a back and forward on it. I, I felt some of the some of the witnesses I heard in the audio sounded like they were kind of like UFO fans. Sure. Like they were, they would maybe lean towards, and I might be wrong. I just from what I heard, they would maybe lean towards this being like a UFO event, and look for that. And I wonder, like you say, 
of those other witnesses, one of the one of the Marines talks about the Hoochies, which is like the, I think where they live or stay or something. It sounded like just from the the context, um, that there were around eight to ten people in each hooch, and there were like ten hooches lined up, and it it made out there was probably a hundred odd witnesses. So would they all say the same thing, or would if you played more audio, would more of them have said, "Nah, it was flares they dropped and they were gone," like yeah. that was it. It's been compared a lot to the Phoenix Light, right? And and my next note have the same. Sorry, I'll back off that one. Then. No, just, no, no, no. I'm going to talk about post processing on photos. Hey. Um, just before we get to the Phoenix Lights, there's there's kind of a thing that happens in smartphone photos these days. A, a few months back, there uh, Samsung got accused of replacing the moon in shots yeah, when people yeah. were zooming in and taking pictures of the moon, and someone found that they were uniform throughout all these pictures, and it would reveal that actually the AI or you know the the chips in the phone were replacing the picture with a, a detailed picture of the moon so it looked better than it was this happens all the time on phones even on on an iphone when you're taking a raw photo it'll still process this stuff so we need to be aware that sometimes lights bunch together far away they will be rendered as if there's a shape there it doesn't mm-hmm. mean there was a shape there you know i can take pictures of stars and do that um I saw examples of people taking pictures of like cityscapes. And if you zoomed in on the windows, the way that the the kind of algorithm saw all the shapes on the windows was letters. So there were random like jutted up woods kind of just on the side of buildings and letters and things like that. They just weren't present in the photo. So we've got to be real mindful of that. And I think that's why NASA were kind of saying, you know, we, we can't take these at face value anymore. It's not just the camera doesn't lie. The camera lies all the time. And we know about AI photos now and, things like that, that that we really need to, you know, kind of educate ourselves on and know what they do. One of the arguments, and this is where the Phoenix Light thing comes in, was that there was a a genuine UAP event and the lights were there and flares were dropped to illuminate the craft. Sure. Now, this is eerily similar to the original Phoenix Lights event where people... People saw the craft. There was the thousands of witnesses who saw it flying overhead and over the over the town. But then the flares were dropped over the mountain range. And that's what the video is that people see online in the famous shot is of the flares. Now, is there a chance that's what happened here, that there was a UAP event, but they used the fact they were on a military training range. They lit the object up or tried to light the object up where it was, knowing that well, this is going to be a good opportunity to to quash this if indeed it does come out. And I wonder, and I've got this down as a discussion point here, people are very suspicious of the government, right? And they play down genuine events. Why in this case have people been so quick to accept that it's likely flares and nothing to see here when it's happened before and people have been less quickly jump on board? Again, I'm not saying what, it, I'm still saying I think it looked like it was flares, but is this because of who presented the information or how it was presented or the strength of the evidence against it? I'm I'm still unsure on all that at the minute. Yeah, that, that's a great shout. You know, sometimes the DOD were like, oh yeah, that's great. Thank you for the statement. That backs up what I was thinking before. And then other times it's like, oh, you're talking nonsense. That doesn't, I don't agree with that at all. And, and we're all guilty of that. Everyone's yeah, guilty of that. That's This is the bias that we were talking about earlier, right? We, we take what's useful to us and we drop the rest when really we should be looking at everything. And it, it's why I really love the idea of different independent study teams tackling these things because they're free of that bias in different ways. And then a combined picture can kind of paint a, a decent presentation of the event. You know, even the mayor since Phoenix Lights happened has come out and said, yeah, I saw it too. And it was crazy. And I'm really sorry that I downplayed it at the time and so on and so forth. Uh, so 
we've always got to be mindful that, of these things that they can happen. And who am I to say that someone didn't see a UAP? You know, I, I feel like I've seen crazy things in the sky that some people tell me were not crazy things. Um, so I, I just, I don't have the authority to say, no, I, I've got to take everything seriously and hold it lightly and, and kind of paint a picture that way. Um, we said when Weaponized was first announced, it was a great opportunity for instant gratification and the opportunity for Knapp and Corbell to to drop something but then talk about it straight away. And then the week after, follow-up, and I don't think there's been enough of that follow-up and this seemed to be the first show where they really got their teeth into to what they talked about before. And that's that was always going to be the beauty of the, the, the podcast format for those yeah. two particularly for me. So I'm glad they done it. Um, uh, testimony was the big thing here. And we've talked about this before, that you, it's hard for some people to just rely on testimony for any UFO or UAP event. It's not everyone's cup of tea. It's Marmite. Some folks love it. Some folks will take your story and go, bang, yeah, God, that sounds incredible. Others will go, is that all it is? Just your word? And that's that's fine. Um, Corbell said that given the testimony and the video showing the potential dissent, that he couldn't dismiss flares, that he did say, which is fair. Um, however, yeah. for him, the additional witness testimony is what's stopping him saying, case closed on this at the moment for me this case at the minute um which very much rests on how much value you put into the limited testimony provided um means that it's got to be filed under it'd be great if more evidence comes out but we can go back to it another time if that happens otherwise you've got to go with flares if they can get additional video longer video um maybe even better quality video then maybe uh, more witnesses coming forward but right now it's it goes down as yeah it was probably flares and a bit of misidentification and you know hey ho um you kind of move on i'll ask you that question dan i think the answer is part, part one yeah you're going with it's flares from what you can tell probably like statistically i would say probably 90 percent flares you know right Definitely um, in that way. Other question though, and I think I've asked you something similar before. Given given the reaction to this and what's happened and how it was presented and the fallout fallout and the everything else, would you rather we didn't get any drops like this? I include the La Bruja stuff, um, the Corbell stuff from twenty nineteen, the Omaha, the sphere in the water. Would you rather none of this stuff ever came out? The rubber duck footage to then pour over and look at and and discuss or are you are you okay with this for me i feel i like these releases but what i would have liked is for this one to come out with the training kind of exercise data i don't see the point in leading that out we, we experienced this before with um ben hansen and the spotlights and they said, oh, well, we didn't think they were the spotlight, so we just left out the story. And it just makes it look really suspicious to, to people that are outside of our circles, you know? Mm. Um, and almost uh, Jeremy keep, kept going back to that point of kind of saying, you know, this may or may not be anomalous, but the one thing that we should realize is this wasn't reported to Arrow. This mm. wasn't reported up the chain. The stigma is very real and alive here, and that's a broken process. So why didn't Arrow investigate it? Did they find out it was flares before? Because I feel like they would definitively be able to answer whether it was flares or not. It's kind of in their remit. So that that information pipeline has to be fixed, as far as I'm concerned. And that's what this video is highlighting. Flares or not, doesn't matter. It was Very, it confused a lot of people, and those people are due an answer. 
yeah, that's very fair. And for me, again, I'll just to state for, for anyone else who wanted to have a go, not that it bothers me. Um, yeah, more than likely flares. Um, I would love to see more information on it. I would still rather these drops happened. Um, I would still rather be got to look at it, pour over it, discuss, debate, not argue like dicks, but just just look at these things and discuss it and go, yeah, it's probably something. No, it's probably nothing and move on because it's interesting and I enjoy personally looking at it. I also enjoy getting to discuss it on here. However, I think what where the danger would be for George Knapp, Jeremy Corbell is that if there was a successive line of these types of drops where, like you say, little things keep being missed off, that constantly make it look like, ah, it really wasn't anything. Ah, it was pretty prosaic. Ah, that starts to add up. And we've talked about the real argument for the UFO topic at the moment as a body of evidence of lots of little things adding up to look at this folder we've got here, but you have to look yeah. through it all. That other folder also starts to add up quickly of, ah, bullshit. Ah, prosaic. Ah, it was a... Um, a an aircraft at the distance, ah, the Starlink satellites, and when yeah. you present too much of that too quickly, that can really dilute and water down the other good stuff you do. So that would just be my thing that they could really do with coming out with something strong for the next for the next big drop. Something where they've really done their due diligence. And even if that includes going to a John Greenwald in the background and saying, look, if we are going to drop this and I'm sure John would keep that to himself. You know, we're asking yeah. your opinion now. What do you think? Is anything you think is worth looking? I don't think they will because of the relationship being broken there. But I don't think something like that would hurt on all sides. But I agree. Maybe that's Completely too blue sky thinking. It would. It would come with a robust, nice kind of rounded analysis then, and and I'm dubious as to whether that would happen. But I think it would enrich the conversation. You know, these these things are mainly looked at by people in the community and. They're the people who see these flare kind of assertions and all these really quick follow-ups and things like that. So just present all the data, just right up front, just present it all and let people make up their own mind to do the work, you know? Look, I, I joked earlier about Mick West and John Ramirez being on two teams to review a tape, but the West Ramirez memo, there you go, there's a memo for you. Those two <laughs> going on record together, discussing, you know, events and stuff. Grab a great podcast, Mick West, John Ramirez. Get that recorded. Yeah, it would be really good. And, and, I don't and, mean me interviewing them. I mean like those two doing a podcast together. Yeah, just chatting dynamite. together. Um, Absolute dynamite. Someone, someone pointed out that you know I, I posted the GoFast stuff from the NASA study, mm-hmm. and I said, "Well, there you go. There's an expert opinion. You know, what do we think?" And and someone kind of pointed out like this isn't de facto. And someone else came in and said, "You know what? It would be amazing to get these people in a room together. Everyone that thinks it's an anomalous thing, that thinks it's a not anomalous thing, and just get them talking because this is science." And it, the scientists aren't each, uh, each other's throats like we are, you know, in the community. Um, that was the lovely thing about it today. They disagreed, they challenged each other, but no one insulted so each other. So that's it, we're starting to get that. We're starting to get these people in a room and sitting together and that whole panel of people weren't all UFO fans, you yeah. know. Although Minus I Scott Kelly, his, his well, bat, bat Simpson balloon thing. That was a low point for me. He kind of got the laughs that we're used to with the stigma and things like mm. that. But eh, I mean, it's a balanced opinion, you know, or a balanced group then. So fine, he's there. But And I didn't yeah. like UAPists as an actor. Like UAP a, is. Yeah, it made me think of an analytical therapist from uh, Arrested <laughs> Development. <laughs> and I won't go into the rest of that joke, but for anyone who's watched it, they'll appreciate that one, I'm sure. There, there was a moment where they put the acronym on screen. Um, it was like a UAP investigation study team. 
but they refer to them as UAPists, which, yeah, it's it's kind of an awkward word to say, and it's just, it feels wrong, right? And in Scotland, it's kind of texting someone like, you are pissed, you know, <laughs> like, so, yeah. And on that note, Dan, <laughs> uh, we've hit the hour mark. Uh, so, yeah, we... in- interesting day, week, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really interesting week, like big moves, you know, this was this was a huge move for the professionalization of the subject and the sub- data and everything like that. I think we're going to see a lot come from this. Would you like uh, another chat GPT joke? We, we got a little bit of feedback that people love these terrible jokes. <laughs> as, as you mentioned, the professionalization of the subject. So if oh, you yeah. don't like the jokes, folks, you can turn off now and pretend it never <laughs> happened. Like I will. But yeah, go on. Why did the alien go to the doctor? Don't know. <laughs> and he's rolling his eyes already for people that can't see. Uh, he was choking on an unidentified frying object. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet, and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little bit. I'd like to thank Wongo Puzzles for sponsoring this episode. My house is filled with all sorts of jigsaws, shape games and puzzles. Definitely a favourite of the family. A very welcome addition to those has been Wongo Puzzles. If you're looking to try something new and exciting, then pick up a custom-designed, unique, handcrafted puzzle from Wongo Puzzles. It's the perfect balance of good fun and a challenge. Even the folks in Congress who couldn't work VLC media player during live UFO hearings would be able to give it a go. They are 100% wooden puzzles. They will last forever. Each piece is hand-drawn, so no two pieces are the same and you'll discover some fun, whimsy pieces as you work through it. They come in a custom wooden box, which is perfect for storage and gifting. Personally, I'm a big fan of the snow globe puzzle. Gives you that all-year-round festive feeling, and you'll see what I mean if you pick that one up. What are you waiting for? Go to wongopuzzles.com and pick up your puzzle today and be sure to use the promo code THATUFO to get 10% off your order. This is the most fun you've had with a puzzle guaranteed or your money back. Go to wongopuzzles.com and use the code THATUFO to get 10% off your order and get puzzling right now.